When I grow up, I want to be a contractor because I like building stuff. I, when I grow up, I want to be a stunt double. I want to be a YouTuber. Hey, Sean, what's the last thing you did online? Uh, okay. Oh, I bought um, an indoor watering can for my houseplants from a large home improvement retailer. And how was that? It was easy and quick. I didn't really think about it, to be honest. Well, let's think about it now. Imagine all the options and potential paths you could have taken at each step, from searching for the product, then reading the reviews below, to adding the product to your cart, choosing curbside or delivery, and finally paying for the thing. It's interesting when you think about it that way. If systems to complete tasks aren't designed and developed well, it could make completing a relatively simple goal, say like buying a watering can, or doing your online banking a lot more complicated and frustrating. That's where UX designers come in. We're talking to three design professionals who will outline the range of cool career paths available in this field. Welcome to WorkShift. The UX design is a huge, uh, it's a huge um, opportunity, and and it's it's growing potentially. It's growing so much that, as I'm saying, like now we're starting to do a big difference between UX research, UX design. Um, you even have people who specialize in only being mappers, like people who only map uh, the systems, process designers, system designers. That's all part of the UX design. Uh, that uh, is starting to fragment into different specialties, right? Within the UX uh, world and, and field. Digital disruption. The gig economy. Artificial intelligence. Robots. And now, COVID-19. What does it all mean for you? I'm Sean McEwen. I'm Ray Harapal. We're exploring the future of work and changes you can expect to see at your job. We'll tell you how this massive digital shift could change your career and what you can do to adapt, evolve, and thrive. In this episode, we find out why UX designers are in growing demand in the financial technology sector and in other areas. And we find out why this is a great career path for young design grads just starting out and for the person who's mid-career and looking to make a shift. We're talking to Xavier Massey, a program coordinator and professor at George Brown College's School of Design. Xavier's career spans 30 years with a focus on design in technology. And we're also speaking with Anna Rita Moraes, chair of George Brown's School of Design. She holds a doctorate in communication and culture from Ryerson University, and she's an expert in mobile media. We're also talking to Peter Sicard, partner and founder of Tuesday Afternoon Media a multidisciplinary design firm in Toronto that specializes in enterprise learning solutions. There were always plenty of online options for, well, everything. But now that the in-person element of many services is on hold due to the pandemic, you may be paying more attention to how you use systems and services online, from buying groceries to reviewing onboarding materials as a new employee. Q, the user experience designer. So what exactly do they do? As Xavier Massey explains, a lot. That's a very good question. Actually, that role started a very long time ago, but we didn't call it user experience designer. 
Uh, it started with the need of understanding uh, contexts. Uh, so when you were in front of a client that had um, a request of either, either uh, creating a new service to plug into their systems, in exist, uh, existing systems, or, or, or renovating one of their existing systems, the first thing you need to do is, is uh, understand the, the context and, and understand how the system works. And what I mean by system here, I not necessarily mean automatically um, IT information technology systems, but I'm talking about the different interfaces and touch points. You know, if you're talking to a retailer, you might have some point of sales uh, <laughs> outside of a pandemic that would still be open. Anyway, we take it, you, so you have to take into account all of the different elements. And so uh, a UX designer nowadays, uh, they are, uh, primary is to uh, understand these different uh, connections between the different elements in the system. And then uh, imagine the interfaces to interact with these complex systems. That's why nowadays you have a whole kinds of different types of UX designers. You have UX researchers that barely do any visualization of what they discover. Uh, they do more actually uh, process design and system design and even a bit of psychology to understand how uh, humans uh, interact with those systems. And then you have uh, mobile design. Then you have UX designers that typically just focus on how to uh, organize those interfaces. Uh, we talk a lot about real estate and, and flow of information from one screen to another. So that would be their, their, their focus. Um, same thing for, for web design. So it's it's actually a field in itself, UX design, that from the early days of interacting with technology to nowadays has expanded. And there are actually a lot of different types of UX designers out there. Let's clarify some of the design terminology you'll hear in this episode. UX, user experience. This is designing how people interact with or navigate a system, such as a mobile app. UI. User interface. This is designing how an interface will look and feel. The aesthetics. And interaction design. It's a term used that incorporates UX, UI, and front-end development. Front-end developers are responsible for creating user-facing code. There's a lot of demand for UX designers across several industries. Anna Rita Morais outlines the trends she's seen more and more, I'm noticing just generally where our students are going to work. And there are a ton of students that are going to in-house design teams, like uh, particularly in fintech, actually. So like all the big banks are hiring, um, ranging from graphic designers to UX, UI designers, strategic designers, design thinkers, design researchers. So there's quite a few um I think in like moving more towards in-house as opposed to going to agency. But I think that's really just contingent on on sort of what the corporate uh, initiative and, and strategy is for each of these folks. Here's Xavier. Uh, you have an RBC, for example, like three, four years ago, bought an independent agency right off the bat and then integrated it into their corporation. And the great thing is they didn't even bring them in the tower. They left them in their funky little uh, Queen Street West um studio, Loblaws, the group created their own uh, digital entity called Loblaws Digital, and they're hiring hordes of those uh, UX designers. Um, Home Depot has about, uh, I would say, 12 of my students, um, and they're 
last time I checked, about a year ago, their their department, their interactive department was like 75 people. You know why? It's because they discovered that their website is now starting to create more and generate more revenue than some of the stores uh, combined. So, I mean, you cannot, especially in you know COVID-19, uh, as we uh, as the, the the numbers of transactions online have have exploded. You can see that uh, not only it puts a strain on those systems, but also uh, in this day and age of people not being able to give feedback also about their experiences online, you take that into account and then streamline, simplify your services so it's uh, even easier to use than ever before. So yeah, absolutely, UX design is a huge, uh, it's a huge. Um, opportunity and and it's it's growing potentially it's growing so much that as i'm saying like now we're starting to do a big difference between ux research or ux design mm-hmm. um you even have people who specialize in only being mappers like people who only map uh the systems mm-hmm. uh, uh process designers system designers that's all part of the ux design uh, that uh, is starting to fragment into different specialties, right? Within the UX uh, world and, and field. Here's Peter Sicard. Peter is partner and founder of design firm Tuesday Afternoon Media. And to put it in the industry perspective, I think why some of those teams are growing is is the value has gone up, like the perceived value of UX design. And so when you're looking at a large organization where they used to say, well, it's not valuable of us to keep a design team or a design thinking team on staff. Now they're very much have changed that opinion. And so that value is now saying that, yes, no, it is really good for us to keep and maintain this knowledge internally, to be able to use this knowledge and to use it all the time and to kind of keep moving it forward within our organization. And I think that's that's a real testament to the industry growing and explaining who we are and kind of teaching people what it is that uh, that we do. So what makes for good UX design? The designer takes all of the complicated back-end data and aims to create an easy-to-use interface. So, if a user doesn't notice the process, does that mean a job well done? Peter and Anna Rita explain. That's that's the basic level. I think when it comes to where it gets really interesting about that is that you either want them to notice the process or you don't want them to notice the process. And if you start to think about being able to control that, that's that. That gets really exciting, right? So if it's the thing that you don't want them to to notice that that's just ubiquitous with trying to do a thing, that's that's great. And then you can it's they're trying to get to their the outcome. But there's also the opportunity too that sometimes you want them to feel a thing and you want them to feel a little bit of that process along the way. And I think that's where it starts to get really exciting as well. Yeah, I think um, this is sort of the interesting one for me because um, I've taught a couple uh, interaction design classes and, you know, there's all of these sort of catch-all rules on like, if a user can't find something on your website within three clicks, then, you know, there's a problem. And so there's all these sort of like little tidbits, but I kind of think that, um, you know, having having this sort of like range of users and being able to to find things in your own time and also being able to understand where things would be. So like, are things well laid out? Does the sort of architecture of things make sense? Obviously that all plays into the experience. Um, But it's interesting to watch user experience as a sort of terminology and and sort of like as a catch-all phrase be appended to things that it wouldn't necessarily fit into. I went uh, to a virtual walk-in clinic this morning 
which was a in total 23 minute experience between like making the appointment, seeing the doctor and getting the prescription to the um, pharmacy, which I thought this never happens. This is like, why can't everything be like this? So I thought that that was like pretty incredible. But, you know, it's kind of like we're taking things around like customer service and like services and, and, and generally talking about them, you know, as a user experience. And because my experience was virtual, there's sort of some level of like, well, I was a user appended to a website. And so you kind of start to use this terminology thereafter. But um, I think something that's that's interesting that comes up quite a bit, like um, just like for me in my own research, but generally uh, with the interaction design students as well is like, you kind of want the interface to become invisible. And if it does that, you know, in a, in a seamless way, then you've kind of succeeded. And I think that, um, that, that gets really interesting when you start to talk about sort of trends in, in VR and augmented reality and, and sort of just generally, um, you know, how we sort of perceive the device and what it allows us to do takes on this really interesting idea when what you want it to do is sort of become invisible and, and vanish. So I think that this idea around, um, you know, the positive user experience and, you know, it ranges everything from sort of like the ergonomics of something to the dexterity and, and you know, how well you can kind of fumble through and, and find information. But uh, it's becoming, I think, more and more uh, prominent and probably more so now that folks are, are working from home and learning from home and, and really doing everything from going to the doctor to, to sort of attending um, events and exhibitions online. So it seems like it's it's really a part of uh, our everyday vocabulary. Here's Xavier. And, that, and the last thing you want is you want this complexity to be visible to your users. You want, you want your users to think that, wow, this was pain, that was painless. I mean, that was so easy to use. And, and a good experience like that will actually create um, retention and and, and uh, will have a, a business uh, value to uh, to those corporations. So that's why they they want those people, they want those designers to be able to look at those systems and say, there's something that doesn't work here. We could do a shortcut here. Actually, there's a rabbit hole here that's going to be too deep. So we need to simplify this. Um, so that's what a US designer does. Being forced to move completely online resulted in some positive developments in the industry, including improved tools for prototyping and collaboration. Anna Rita, Peter, and Xavier outlined disruptors and developments that have staying power in a post-COVID world. Just thinking a little bit about um, the sort of areas of, of 3D and, and AR uh, and VR. So, you know, I think that 3D has sort of experienced quite an interesting boom with um, the pandemic, just generally lots of uh, cultural heritage institutions sort of uh, scanning their collections so folks could vis visit them virtually, which I think is great. VR is a bit more challenging. Um, you know, I think a lot of uh, VR is, is tough because one, it's expensive to own your own device at home. Um, and then also right now, I think that, um, there's obviously not a lot of folks going out into public and, and going these sort of like arcade style places or the, the VR places where you can go and, and experience something. So I think a lot of that is just generally contingent on, on what the market is allowing. Um, augmented reality has seen like a super impressive boom, obviously since Pokemon Go. Um, but also, you know, some of these like augmented reality kits are, are super easy for like generally like for students we find that students already kind of have some knowledge of, of tinkering with AR systems um, because they can do a lot of that work from home uh, and you know there's a lot of just very simple tutorials on how to run some of these filters and effects in Instagram etc uh, so I think that that's that's kind of you know 
becoming a bit more popular. And, and as you have folks kind of tinkering with this and talking about this and understanding that the scope of how it works, uh, I think it kind of makes things uh, move a lot quicker. And I think it makes the role of, of the sort of UX designer and the experience designer a bit more interesting and a bit more robust because they tend to have more of these tools in their toolkit, right? And so one of the things that we've really noticed, again, with the pandemic is that uh, students have an access, like way more access to different kinds of tools, methodologies, and approaches, because now they're learning, um, you know, how to work remotely, how to work collaboratively in a remote environment, and and just generally, you know, what the shortcomings uh, of that can be, and also what the, the sort of upsides are. So that's something that uh, definitely um, we've noticed. Those digital tools have become very important. Um, the collaborative digital tools are, are one fantastic, and, and it's it's interesting because I don't think it'll go away. Like that's it's, this yeah. is just the thing that tipped us into it, and now we don't. We just have to use it, so we had to learn them, and now we're using them. <laughs> so it's and they're, they're, we're seeing the benefits, and it works really well for that. Are you inherently curious, interested in how people interact with tech and the patterns in those behaviors? Love to problem solve. These are just a few of the traits our experts say make for a great UX designer. I'll give you an example. Two years ago, I had somebody who was a teacher uh, in in, uh, in the public system, uh, and now she is a curriculum designer uh, for a digital company that de delivers curriculum online. Right. So, um, <clears throat> yeah. So they, they they learn a new skill, transform it, and then and then apply it to their uh, to their first. Uh, career that they had. So, and then some people would do it with a total different mindset of changing entirely their career. So, for these people, uh, what I would say is, I would say that uh, be you know keep an open mind, be very curious. I would say that um, there's a lot of students in interaction design that come back as sort of second career. Um, not necessarily that you know they're they're. Um, They've worked a ton and then they're coming back. Sometimes that is the case, but often we have students that have done, you know, like a psychology or sociology uh, bachelor, and then they come in to sort of get a bit more specialized. And, and I think for a lot of folks, um, you know, that want to get into interaction design or, or user experience design, um, a lot of them really like to work with people or they're generally curious about, about patterns around um, human usage. And so I think for me that that one is, is definitely really paramount. Uh, I think someone that is, you know, willing to pay attention to the details, but also the bigger picture, like doesn't lose sight of the bigger picture is, is really important in this area. Um, having a, a sort of uh, well versed idea around design principles doesn't hurt, but that's also stuff that you can learn, right? And and, and that's stuff that that um, the program teaches. But generally, yeah, for me, it's, it's really about someone who um, has some empathy, really wants to understand why users engage and, and why technology can be used as a sort of tool to, to help uh, make things a bit better. It's that curiosity, that, that mindset of curiosity. Um, when it, you mentioned that there's people coming in that are coming in from behavioral sciences and I'm just like, that's amazing. That's exactly what we're looking for, right? That, that's, a, that's where it kind of, we attach to people. You have to be curious about the people. Uh, you also mentioned the word empathy in there. And so when we were talking about like just creating an interface that works, um, it's kind of like a universal design kind of situation and that kind of empathy to get to know your neighbor in every single format and every single way that we can kind of imagine the human experience to be. Um, we start to get into where there's problems that we can actually be of service, right? In interaction design. It's time to take a look at the future want ads. 
Yes, kids, listen up, because these could be the jobs you'll be applying for when you grow up. In this segment, we ask a guest to outline a job they think should exist in the future. Okay, save your massy. What have you got for us? How about a tech healer, a tech therapist? What will this person do? When I started in this field, I could still open a computer and tell you exactly what the different parts of a computer were. I could tell you tell you how they were functioning. I could still tell you how an interface was made and how a system was built. Um, now for our students to be at that level of knowledge that I was 30 years ago, it, it's an all, whole new ballgame with AI and complex data flows and data sets that are getting bigger and bigger and data transfers that are actually more complex. Um, it's another thing. So it, it, I hope that the future designers will be able to keep up with this level of complexity and at the same time develop a healthy relationship with technology, which... which um, I think we need to teach, <laughs> not just within the world of design, but as a general practice, I think we need to teach healthy, healthy relationship with technology. What kind of education would be required for this job? Because I think you need, uh, you need to understand sociology, you need to understand psychology, and you need to understand technology. Um, so that's, those are three skill sets that are quite uh, important to have. I don't think it, you will find them in one normal career uh, right now and career path. That's a wrap on this episode of WorkShift. What did you think? Want to share your thoughts on this episode? Email us at workshift at georgebrown.ca. Get in touch and we might share your thoughts during our next episode. This podcast is brought to you by the fine folks at George Brown College. We want to thank Xavier Massey, Anna Rita Marais, and Peter Sicard for sharing their thoughts with us. It's the end of your work shift. Thanks for listening.